her as a mother. She wasn't much of a mother. She would leave for weeks on end, and she'd come back, and the abandonment was really hard on me. And um, I remember uh, she, would, she would just be gone and be gone and be gone. And one day when I was about seven or eight years old, um, someone invited her, invited her to a church service, and she uh, walked in and received uh, the Spirit of God upon her heart. And that change happened in her, and it was a complete, like, 180, like, um, a mom who, like, wasn't around, who was completely addicted to drugs, um, who um, just basically, she even, like, roamed the streets. I mean, I, didn't, I couldn't tell going to much this morning, but, like, she, you know, parking meters back in the day when they didn't take car, they took, like, coins and stuff. Like, she would, she had, like, her buddies, and they would like, go around and, like, rob change from that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so as a kid, I was only, like, this little kid, but I'd actually, like, follow her around. She'd be, like, on speed and stuff, so she would walk, like, super fast, because and I'm just trying to catch up, and she's sitting there, like, robbing things and then, like, sleeping in canyons, and I mean, I just had this weird, crazy story around a bunch of, you know, drug addict people, and it was very dark, and so that's what I knew of her was just darkness, and then one day, for her to receive Christ and all of a sudden get this mother who cared and had love, she didn't have that before. She was only selfish, and so to have this person completely transformed, like, like when you say, like, transformed, like instantaneously, like totally Instant, different. Instantaneous transformation. That's crazy. And okay. to have that in my life, I mean, I didn't, again, I don't know of Jesus. I don't know of these stories, but it was almost as if I knew them better than people who have known those stories because something about God was extremely real in the most tangible way. You know, this person that, and, and I know that as believers of God, we can be that tangible story to people around us more than the things that we say, although the things that we say are very important but I think the stories and that transformation that we have, um, you know, we can, be, we can receive the Spirit, but we can also be overflowing with the Spirit. And my mom was to the point of overflowing, and that overflowed onto me as well as multiple other people in my family got saved when she got saved. Really? Cool. And they were all drug addicts and these things too. So that one transformation just led like, like, a, like a, you know, what do they call it? Like a little spark in a forest. Right, right. Okay, so... Um you start, I'm guessing like at that age, then you guys start going to church and stuff like that. And you start going, and then you start find music. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, funny thing is that the church that my mom was saved at um, was actually a church where we were the only white people. And um, so it was a all like gospel style church. And so, um, I mean, there was literally no Hispanics. There was no Asian people. It was, it was, Black people and me and my mom. And so um, the music was like, I mean, it was smoking. It was so good. And they're actually, they're actually known in San Diego as like, it's not just because they're a gospel choir. That's why they're good. They're actually known to be like the best. And I, we didn't know that. But it's just like crazy that that's where my mom got saved. And then here I am, this kid who naturally has this very much of this musical. I've always been in love with music. Even I remember before going to that church, I just loved the kids' songs. I loved singing um, Yankee Doodle in kindergarten. I'm just like so into music. And then here I am, you know, the church that my mom was saved at is just like, just amazing music, you know. And so we went there, and uh, and that's where I learned about learned about Jesus, you know. Cool. And so uh, you you obviously were raised in that church, and then you decided to pursue music. What tell us a little bit about? So for those of you who don't know, he wasn't always a worship leader. He, um, actually, when I saw him first and met him first, he was out on the road as a performer. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's funny because as a as a kid growing up in that church, I got to sing like lead vocal on a few songs, um, and they so let the white boy. Up they let there, the white boy. Right? So That's I actually awesome. got all the leads okay. as a kid, and so I felt pretty honored. But then later on, we we, we switched churches and we went to this um, white church, <laughs> and 
gosh, it was the most boring music I'd ever heard. <laughs> and, um, but it was really rad because they went to like Disneyland and it was a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. Here, Crappy music, but you got to go to Disneyland. Yeah, so, like, seriously. Uh, went to it kind of made up the know? difference a little bit. And so, but the music was boring. And uh, so the story here kind of unfolds into a, a cool realm where, again, like the evidence of God's spirit at work and that he is very real in, a, in, in the most tangible way for me it's not just intellectual. Like, he just keeps, like, showing up in people and, and literally, like, blowing up through people in my life. Like, missing pieces. Like, I don't even have a mom. Boom, I have this amazing mom. And I have no father figure. I have no father. And here I am going to this other church that I think is lacking in music. But ultimately, I was lacking in having a father. And junior high, there was a guy that heard my story um, and, and thought, man, that sucks. And I don't even know how he heard my story because I didn't really tell it to many people, but um, he was a businessman, well-off businessman, and he actually um, heard my story, reached out, and kind of was a father figure in my life. Not only did he did it, did he did it? Did he did it, did he did it? Um, <laughs> not only did he do it in a, in a like, um, like just hang out kind of way, but he, he also paid for me to go to a private school, really? a Christian private school. So here I am. The school that I, the neighborhood that I lived in and I grew up in was known to be like the worst junior high school you can possibly go to, like okay. in the front of the newspaper, like, if you go here, you might die. And so um, that's where, that was my path, you know, and, um, and even like the people that I was hanging out with were people that, you know, we were all going to go to that school together and we were getting into trouble and beating up people for no reason and stealing things for no reason. And that was kind of the path that I was going to go down and here, God, you know, touches the heart of a, of, a, of a guy and somehow, you know, speaks to him. I'm this shy kid. I don't talk to anybody. And then here's my story. Sends me to a private school, um, which is part of that church. And that's where, um, you know, they have guitar classes and bass classes. So then I started playing, playing bass. And I was this really shy kid. So I didn't sing in front of anybody. And in fact, at the time, you know, I don't know if you were in the same time bracket, but it wasn't cool to be a male and sing. Right. Like, I mean, you, you had to wear that, you know, like a chain, or you had to be in Nirvana or something. <laughs> like, it was all about being tough. You're showing your age right about, now, like, dude. <laughs> it was not about like Nirvana <laughs> classic. <laughs> classic. <laughs> but it was about being totally. tough. It was not about let me <laughs> let me sing a song for you. So I was like a bass player in a punk band and stuff like that. But like secretly, I would sing. <laughs> But I can just imagine everyone's in the Nirvana, and you're like, yeah, but like Michael Jackson's sick, you guys. Like, he's so tight. Like, so I was like, yeah, I was definitely like had to keep the Michael Jackson to myself. Um, but what's funny is I started, as I started um, reading the Bible, actually. Um, so no I was way. going to this private school, and I did love Jesus, but I think there was a different kind of realm where it started to become more real to me. And I don't even know if like a revelation came from God, but I just was like, it was kind of a very moralistic kind of uh, doctrine at the church where, you know, if you just just get be a better person, be a better person, read your Bible more, show up to more things. And I don't know if I was reading one day in Matthew or there was something, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you're telling me that God sees Jesus instead of me? And it just did this, like, crazy transforming work in my heart where I kind of didn't care about what people thought about me anymore. So even though I was naturally maybe shy, I was like, I feel like singing about this. I don't know why. I literally didn't know why. And I just wanted to start singing. I, I remember I, I didn't sing for anybody. And then here's my senior year. And I like asked, can I sing the national anthem at a basketball game? So I went from like zero to 60. You know, just God did, again, that, that transforming work that he does. And it's like, it was a 180, you know, in my heart and in my boldness. 
And in my passion, God did a 180. I cared about what people thought, and then I didn't care at all. And in, in fact, he ignited my passion, and I was willing to be vulnerable with it. Um, and so I sang the national anthem, which led to me singing uh, at a talent show, and I won first place, and then sang at my graduation, and then uh, started leading worship and uh, pretty young. And so that's how that happened. That led to me, uh, as I started leading worship back in the day, speaking of being you know, dated. Oh. I mean, the songs were so bad. Here I am to worship. They, would, they were so cheap. They were so cheesy. Oh, and they were so, so classic. I like in the secret. They were so life. bad that that um, good, for me, I was like, and there was no like upbeat songs. If they were upbeat, they were all the more cheesy. And so, <laughs> I for me, I said, you know what, I. I'm not going to throw away Jesus, but I am going to throw away this kind of like worshipy thing, and I'm going to start writing my own songs. But I don't like these songs, and so that's actually what sparked me becoming an artist. I didn't, I didn't desire fame. I didn't desire um, any of those things. I just simply desired that there was a void. In, you just desired not to sing those songs yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was such a big void in what Christian music was, and I wanted to write a song about it, so cool. I did. Cool. So then you began uh, writing and uh, you produced albums. Went to go. You went on tours, things like that. Um, it, tell us your like your favorite memory being on tour. Oh, tour memories. I think. <laughs> or your favorite place or your favorite gig. Oh gosh, um, it was kind of recently. Uh, I got to open for uh, Andy Grammer, and uh, <clears throat> what's cool about that is I I was on The Voice on season four. And um, the song that I sang on, on, on that show was uh, Keep Your Head Up. And what was funny is I didn't last long on the show, but just that I got on is kind of a miracle. 65,000 people auditioned my season. I was one of the 48. Those statistics are pretty good. And so I made it on the show. Didn't last long, but it's funny that the song I sang was Keep, Keep Your Head Up, because then it was pretty shortly after the show um, that my daughter had actually passed away. And so that song sort of was like, and I know you probably know this too, but God, I feel like God gives prophecies to individuals before they even know what they mean. And sometimes you even tell a friend a truth about God, but it's, it's actually for you, but you didn't know it yet. And so I sang that song, and then uh, like, it was like a year later, not even a year, six months later, here I am opening for Andy Grammar, Grammar telling him my story, and he's just like, this is so cool, and he like listens to me. He asked me tons of questions. We spent like an hour in the green room. He's just like the nicest guy in the world. But then he invites me on the stage to sing the song with him. This is like his hit song, and yet he's sharing the stage with me. So that was a pretty cool moment. Yeah, that's very cool. Wow. So tell us kind of uh, where you've been since then and then how you ended up here and kind of what's, what's next. You know what's kind of funny is I'm kind of going into a a phase that's kind of dealing with that question, but your, your message this morning, you guys missed it. It was amazing, which I'm sure you guys get pieces of it. But I think, you know, finding your worth and your value based upon kind of the things that you do and the things that you're known for, um, I think for me in my age that I'm at right now, it's kind of a, this, it's kind of like not a midlife crisis, but as a, as a music artist, I'm for sure in a midlife crisis because I'm on the cusp of being older and there's, you know, this new generation that comes up and even if they're like, half as good as me because they're young and fresh looking, they, they just, get, the, they, they just get, to, get to the line, you know, faster. And so, um, but yeah, it's kind of like this sort of identity that has happened where I'm kind of had been struggling. Well, who am I? What's, what's going on? And, and even though I was touring really hard and, and pursuing my music and coming out with albums and doing those things, um, 
God has been bringing me through this inner work behind all the scenes of kind of answering those kind of questions and not trying to find the value in chasing this thing so hard because I felt like I was always hungry for it, it was never good enough, and um, just trying to find this inward type of peace in the midst of uh, the success or not the success, because I know, I know you can probably resonate, and all you guys can probably resonate, no matter what you succeed at, it's still never good enough, and um, there's always someone above you, there's always going to be someone below you, and, um, you know, where you're at is where you're at, and you just got to be faithful with where you're at, and I think the thing that God is kind of teaching me right now that he's really pressing into me that I feel like is definitely a good thought for you guys as well, especially within your age bracket, is like, you know, David was, God had him in a place where he was a shepherd and like having to, you know, leave the flock to always find the one and, and chase these lions and, you know, you know, sling the stone. And it's like he had to learn this craft and this, this thing. And in one sense, he was told he was going to be a king, yet he's not there yet. And he's in this other place of like waiting. And when it gets to the point where he, you know, slings down Goliath, it's just another lion. And I think that in life, um, when you think that you're, you should be at a certain place and you should be at a certain value and you should be seen as a certain thing, like you have a good father who is constantly doing a work in you and he has you in a place where he's building you not for something that's later, it's just all the time. You know, when, when David's out there, he's learning about what it means to be a shepherd and leave it, and there's all good messages and it's all pointing to the fact that there's a good father who who cares about things that are beyond your status, beyond the value that is, is told in the world. It's the value that he is building in you. It's the character that he is building in you, the, the relationship that he has between you. And so that when you reach that point of facing a Goliath, it's you and God facing Goliath. It's not what other people think about anything. It's not those things. And so for me, I feel like God is bringing me through this inward thing of enjoying that wherever I'm at in the, in the waiting zones or even in the, the zones of I'm having shows, not having shows, selling records, not, I mean, it's just a constant roller coaster. And um, like you said this morning, like, I just kind of stepped off the roller coaster and I'm just kind of like, because this music business is so weird and fickle. I mean, one day I was selling thousands of dollars of, of merchandise and the next day it's like not even good enough for to be a coaster. Like CDs are like completely irrelevant. And I built my whole life around this thing and then just like the economy that crashes, like my whole sort of thing came crashing down. It's like, who am I now, you know? And so kind of learning those kind of things in, in your message that you shared this morning, it's like, right. boom. I hate those messages, man. I hate those <laughs> messages. Because like, if you weren't there this morning, I talked about identity and worth and finding it in achievement and things like that. And, and of course, it's like the thing that God's like shoving in my face, you know, where he's like, oh, really? You want to go talk about it in front of people? Like, watch this. <laughs> it's like, yeah, all right, thanks, God. Um, yeah, so, so uh, real quick, um, tell us, do you want to talk about any more of your story? Uh, sure. Do you want to? It's yeah. up to you. Yeah. Okay, let's okay. do it. Um, I, I know I kind of briefly went over the place where, um, you know, me and my wife, we were, um, we, you know, I, me being in a position, I put off being a father for a really long time because touring and doing all those things doesn't really work out that well. So I put it, put it off. And then here we are in our 30s, and we're like, okay, it's, it's go time. We need to do this now. And so, um, you know, we had been waiting, and, you know, finally, here's our time. And, you know, we have this, uh, my wife is pregnant, and everything health-wise seems like it's all going to be good. The, the heartbeat is healthy. Every time we went to the doctors, things were 
things were A plus. And even the day of having, you know, labor and all those things like that, there's no signs of anything going wrong, which is just, this is unheard of. And um, to have something go wrong when there's just absolutely no sign, um, very, very rare. And um, so here we are, we're about to, my wife's about to get birth, and the baby comes out and lets out two cries and then um, passes away from uh, meconium, which some of you know what that is, but uh, she passes away. And um, what's crazy is sometimes when, like, you think that you could just fall apart, um, that you have no hope, it's in those moments that you realize really what you have. And I was literally sustained by God and com- like held together. Um, I mean, I was ma- having to make decisions on on what to do, and I had to, my mind was intact, um, even though you know crying and all those things were were totally happening. But God being present once again in my life in a very tangible way, that the evidence of His Spirit, the evidence of who God is, was so real. And um, it was about two, it was about a few days after we got back from the hospital of our daughter passing away that we knew that everyone around us was going to be like, how are you doing? And it's like kind of the worst question to have happen because you're like, do you really want to know how we're doing? Like, do you even mean that question? You know, like sometimes people just don't know what to ask. They don't know what to do. I'm like, I don't know what to do either. And so we decided to make a video where we basically, we didn't really have any agenda. We just, they just pressed record and we just started talking. And um, when I listened back to it, it kind of doesn't even make any sense. Uh, but for some reason, this video kind of took wind, and you know, I found out these people in these like famous bands and like totally non-believers all over the place, and in Hollywood, all these things have watched this video and are super blessed by this video. And there's something about uh, extreme pain, and when everything hits the fan, that. Not that if you have a smile on your face. In the video, we were crying. But there was something, there was a piece that transcended that, that, that must have came across. And that's that whole thing. Like, when you have the spirit and it's overflowing out of you, 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 you might not have words for it, but it's, it's speaking loudly. And um, that was happening. You know, I, that, that story of my mom and her being that, now I'm being that in the midst of, of our pain and our struggle. And I think you might have mentioned this in your message, but... It's weird how God always uses you more in the sucky scenarios than he does, like, man, I got this cool job, and I got this nice car, and, like, I don't know why, but it just doesn't speak to people. It doesn't, um, I have this little saying that you can impress people or you can impact people, and if you look at the Kit Kat bar, and you notice that Kit Kat's actually impressed into the chocolate, you know that robs you of chocolate? <laughs> You're left with, with less chocolate? <laughs> and, you know... <laughs> I think in this life, we are constantly... <laughs> Everyone's going to be like, Frick, screw them, dude. That's right. I'm not eating it. We need to go it. down to the Kit Kat factory. They owe us some letters right about now. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I live most of my life trying to impress people, and that actually just robs people. I'm like, when they're around me, whenever I'm like super blessed or super, you know, quote unquote successful, it's not, that it's not, it's not a sin, but I don't feel like it... It's in, as impactful as, um, for some reason, being vulnerable, for some reason, being a mess. Um, there's something about that that people are magnetized to. Like, you're shattered and broken. Wow, I relate to that more than your Ferrari for some reason. 
And uh, I think it's because we're all screwed up. And when someone else is screwed up, you're like, I can't tell you me too, but me too, and I want to like hug you and make out with you. Um, not make out with you, but just I feel I feel drawn I never to you for some that. reason. I never felt that. I never I never felt that. Um, I uh, I remember. Um, so I was I uh, <clears throat> Trevor was actually he called us uh, during this whole time and and um, we we got to walk through it with him and, and Heidi his wife and and um, he did something kind of crazy is. Uh, and I thought this was cool because, man, it was so powerful. I remember walking away from this just going like, dude, he is, he is trying to use his pain for a purpose even in the midst of it. And part of it was that video, and the other part was um, at Mizell's funeral, um, you just threw a concert, and you just had, like, everyone you knew come down to San Diego, and, um, and you you celebrated, and then you grieved, and you could tell there's people there who... We're like, I don't know what I believe, but frick, like, there's got to be something here. You know, the, the fact that somebody in, in such pain can see hope and can celebrate was such a, a testimony to the people there. And for me, it was such a challenge for even my own faith, you know, because I looked at you guys and I was like, and we were talking and, and just the hope that you still had. And uh, I was like, frick, could I do that? You know, like, could I be uh, that that's solid about my faith in those circumstances. And, and man, when you were saying this morning about the, uh, that we are God's evidence to the world, um, it, it was so true in those moments is I've never seen uh, stronger evidence. I look at all the science and the philosophy and it's all interesting, but man, when, when the rubber hits the road and life is really ugly, that's when the evidence really starts to shine. And so um, for me, as I kind of think about you guys and I think about your story, you're right, is, yeah, it's cool that you got to sing with Andy Grammer and that you could do these things with Frick. Like, that's nothing in comparison to how, you, how you've dealt with tragedy in your life and, and been able to continue to hold strong to, to your faith. And so um, I, think that's, uh, I think that's the best evidence that you have to offer. So any last, any last thoughts before we, we start taking communion together? I love you guys. And just so you guys know, I live in San Diego. <laughs> and it's hard on my back to drive up here. I think on Saturday, it might take me three hours. Um, you are old. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but there's a lot of churches in San Diego, and um, there's something special here. And just so you know, when, I, when I'm here, I, I've chosen to be here. Um, and I, I don't know why. I've, I've always felt this connection here at Seacoast. And um, so I just wanted you guys to know that. Appreciate you guys. Cool. Thanks, Trevor.